This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self-Care for Teachers, helping you prioritize your health, happiness and well-being so that you can thrive in the classroom and in life. I'm your host, Ellen Ronalds Keane, reminding you that you're a person first and a teacher second and you are allowed to look after you. This episode of the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast is brought to you by the Resilient Teacher Roadmap Course, an eight-week online course for tired teachers to learn how to cultivate well-being and build resilience throughout the school year, not just on the school holidays. Because the truth is that the cure for teacher burnout is not self-care. It's actually systemic and cultural change, real workload reduction, and deep abiding community care. But sadly, that's not the world we currently live in. I believe we can get there, but in order for any of us to be involved in creating and receiving the benefits of those changes, we need to survive and function this term, this week, today. The key to that is building resilience and cultivating well-being through self-advocacy, self-compassion and transformational self-care, not just the Instagrammable kind. So the Resilient Teacher Roadmap course is a framework, not a prescription. It's not a quick fix. It's also not PD or an academic course. It's about your beliefs and behaviours and how they impact and keep you on the downward depletion spiral or on the upwards resilience spiral. Yes, you'll learn practical strategies and be given tips, tricks and activities to try at home. But even more than that, you'll learn the skills to continually take into account the reality of your life and work and to differentiate for what you actually need to support your personal well-being sustainably over the long term. Find out more at selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash roadmap. And now enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome back to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. In this episode, I interview Ellie, a high school teacher who decided to take a break from teaching in 2021 after a particularly challenging year health-wise in 2020. So Ellie is a parent, a teacher, and is also studying a master's in educational leadership specializing in well-being. And we talk about her journey balancing teaching, parenting, and studying, and the decision point that led her to taking a break from teaching after experiencing panic attacks and reaching the point of really dreading going to work. Ellie tells us what she did to get support and to support herself, as well as what she's been learning about teacher well-being in her master's. She has also kindly agreed to do some specific episodes on some of those learnings later in the season as a guest host while I'm off on maternity leave. So stay tuned for those upcoming episodes too. Without further ado, here's this episode with Ellie. Hello, Ellie. Thanks for coming on the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. Thank you very much. I'm excited to get chatting today. So we'll start off with, uh, can you tell us about your your sort of education background, a little bit about your teaching context? Mm, Sure. I came to teaching a little bit later in life. I used to be a research scientist and kind of was in the space of dealing with honours students and PhD students and teaching them how to do it. And I kind of really liked that space of working with people. So then I went and did my graduate diploma and got into an independent school where I taught for eight years. Uh, Really loved it. High school? Yeah, yeah, high school and particularly loved like going on camps and doing all the extracurricular stuff where you 
really get to know kids. Took some time off to have kids. So that was probably another eight years and did not work at all during that time. I was pretty lucky that my husband kind of sailed the ship there. And he's also a teacher. So he kind of understood the pressures of what it would be to to be at home and to be a teacher. And then I've just kind of come back into it. My kids are now kind of at that age where they've started school and they're a little bit older. So I've been back teaching for the last three years and only part-time. I was at a, I'm at a fantastic school that really the hours that I could work were just so incredibly, they fit in so well with family life. So that was that was quite amazing really for me to come back and to have that real balance where I didn't have to put my kids in before and after school every day, but I could feel like I was actually giving myself to teaching. But that's been an interesting balance coming back, feeling a little bit like a graduate teacher again, even though I've been teaching for well nearly 10 years now, new school and a new way of teaching, whereas before I was single and kind of, you know, fancy free and could do whatever I want. (laughs) And now I'm coming home and if I'm exhausted, I still have to deal with family needs. So that's been quite an interesting balance. And also there's been a fair amount of increased administrative demands in, you know, over the last 10 years or so in the profession. Like I I imagine some of that would have changed too. Yeah. I mean, between my husband working at a teacher and I also do some volunteer work at another school, I kind of feel like I kept my foot in the door and I'm pretty well organised. So the administration stuff doesn't really affect me. To be honest, it's more the change in the kids that I saw in the last 10 years, which, you know, the disengagement and the not selfish, but really kind of self-centred some of them and the way that you just need to have everything big and amazing and fun. They want more and more and more. Like I've really found that like I used to play at the end of term, just some simple games to end off the term and they don't want to do that anymore. They want, you know, interactive digital games and they want online stuff. And yeah, I that's the biggest change that I've noticed. Yeah, that's interesting. And so now at the moment, you're also studying a master's in education leadership with a well-being specialization. So tell us a bit about that. Yeah. And I, I guess, to be honest, that stemmed a little bit from looking at these kids and thinking, oh, that's like, what's what's the go with these kids? They don't want to be at school. They, you know, what what is going on? And some of them having such high level needs and not just learning needs, but like social and emotional, that kind of stuff. So I was about to finish my master's from another time and then I found the master's in wellbeing and thought, oh, this this looks really good. So I had to start again, but that's okay. And within that space is where they also talked about teacher wellbeing. And at my school, it's a high-performing independent school, so a lot of pressure on teachers. And just getting to know some of their stories really has resonated with me. And while I was studying in the teacher wellbeing space, doing lots of research about what's out there and, you know, is there anything out there and stumbled upon your lovely podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I appreciate you sharing that it was learning about that in your master's that kind of had you then reflecting more on what was going on in your school, right? And tell us a little bit about your journey from, because I know that you're not trying to do classroom and master's and parenting all at the same time, you know, which I think is I mean, more power to you if you're listening and that's what you're doing. But I think that is a heavy, heavy load. And it's reasonable to say, hang on a minute, (laughs) I maybe can't juggle all of these balls at once. Yeah. And that was certainly the case last year. And with 
COVID on top of that. I think studying well-being really opened my eyes to the fact that this was something that you just didn't have to survive and you couldn't say anything and you couldn't do anything. You could actually kind of stand up for yourself and say, "Mm, um, this isn't working for me and I need to do something about it. So I really found that those particular high-level needs kids, when they came back from online learning, they were just so much more disengaged because they had five weeks at home. It was almost like a holiday. It wasn't long enough for them like in Victoria where they just wanted to get back to school. They just missed it so much. The kids came back and they were like, oh, home was great. We loved it. We don't want to be here. So trying to reconnect with them halfway through the year with all the other distractions going on. And so I started having what I thought at the time were heart palpitations. Often at night while I was on the couch just quietly, I would feel my heart racing and I didn't really know what was going on. I spoke to my husband and he kind of said, oh, maybe you should see a doctor. And so I did and I went down that track of the physiological side of it. Yeah, it is important to rule that out. Like that's a scary thing if you think something's wrong with your heart. Yeah, and so obviously I went down that route and I had the ultrasound and and everything's totally fine with my heart. But in that kind of journey, which takes a while to see a specialist, a lot of teachers that I spoke to said, oh, oh, we had those, it's just panic attacks. I said, well, what do you mean? Like, I've never heard of this. And they said, oh, no, if you have a panic attack, your heart starts racing and you feel like it's beating out of your chest. And I said, oh, I've just never experienced it or heard of it. And I've heard of people having panic attacks, but I didn't realise that that's how it presented itself. And so I was really heavily reflecting on what is causing this because I I get enough sleep and I exercise and I eat well, like all of the factors that would lead to it were kind of ruled out. And I said, it has to be work because I was, yeah, the kind of dreading almost going to class and trying to engage these kids. And so I, I went and spoke to my boss and I was incredibly supported in that. Like, yeah, he actually listened and I said to him, I think I've only got like maybe one more year and then I think I'm done. And he actually said to me, do you want to finish at the end of this year? And at that moment, I thought like it was like this relief of thinking if I don't teach next year, then maybe I can have a break and not. And not have it be the end of your career. That's exactly right. Yeah. Maybe it's just a break and that I can refresh myself and I can finish my study and I can just do something else for a little while, have a break and then come back. So he was great. Thankfully, also, I had done some other administration stuff on the side. So I had other skills that the school could use, but I was actually quite prepared to just walk away for a little bit if need be. Yeah. Yeah. So you're in a different role in the school now, a non-teaching role at the moment, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just doing some office stuff, which has been great in terms of when you did your podcast on mental load. Really, I have no mental load at work. (laughs) I I rock up, I do it and I go home. So it's been a great break. Yeah. That's really interesting to hear. And and also, you know, I think there will be teachers listening who resonate with that story of, and I think it's always a good idea to go and check with your GP and check with, you know, on the physiological side of things. If Even if you have a sort of a sense that maybe it is a panic attack, you know, it's not, there's nothing wrong with my heart, you know, rule it out. Absolutely. You want to be talking to your doctors about these things, but I'm sure that there will be some teachers listening who can resonate with that sense that I don't think this is sustainable for me in its, in the way things currently stand in my life and in my work and you know all the other demands and the mental load it's not sustainable something 
has to change. And what has to change is going to be different for everybody. It might be, for example, some people might choose to actually put the masters on hold. You know, like it's not going to be the same outcome for everybody, but just having that sort of turning point where you think, wait a minute, I got to do something different here because I can't keep going on as I'm going. Um, so thank you for sharing that. That's okay. And I just, I do feel sad though, because I know that for some people quitting is not an option, like financially or, or whatever other reasons it is, you know, their career path or whatever, maybe they don't have an option or, and you and I've spoken about this, you know, it shouldn't have to take going part-time or stopping for your well-being to actually come back to some sort of level of normal. Yeah. So, and what you said about it's different for everybody. I think that's the space that schools struggle with because it is so dependent on the individual circumstances of what's going on at that time and it's and it just changes. And also I think it's dependent on the, the school leaders and their their understanding of you know well-being and, and mental health and their willingness but also ability to be flexible there as well. You know, like I I know because teachers tell me the experience that you have shared of your boss being really supportive is not the experience everybody has, unfortunately. It should be, but it's not the experience everybody has. Or or sometimes people feel that they maybe the climate in the school is already so difficult that they actually feel that they can't admit to any challenges to the, you know, the boss for fear of repercussions, you know, which is obviously a huge problem and actually speaks to sometimes where the wellbeing issues are coming from if that's the climate in your school, which is really challenging. Yeah, and I would really feel for those teachers because they're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. Like they probably have some really good support from colleagues, but if they can't can't go any further, like they're probably looking after their own personal well-being, but then in their professional space, it's not kind of sinking together. Yeah, and it again, there's not always a an easy solution to those things. So, can you tell us a little bit, you know, other than the the work change, what else did you do to kind of support yourself with those panic attacks? I think the awareness was a really big thing. So when I spoke to a few people about it, you know, they said, what What did you do about it? And they said, oh, some people tried meditation. And uh, I was doing meditation when my kids were really little and I was quite sleep deprived. So I thought, oh, maybe I could start that again. And just doing some breathing exercises. I actually did a, um, my school has one of those employee assistance programs that a lot of schools have at the moment that they kind of outsource counselling or whatever to external providers. And I actually did the wellbeing strand of that just to see. Yeah. Yeah. But also personally. So I kind of had this two-edged thing going on. But the lady that I did that with, she was sharing about some mindfulness techniques and some breathing techniques. And we didn't do them in the sessions, but she said, you know, here's some links, here's some exercises that you can do. And while I didn't continue with them, I think just being aware that there were things out there, like I tried them a few times, they didn't work for me. The meditation has certainly been better, but I find exercise and being outdoors in exercise is the thing that works for me. So I think when I've spoken to a lot of people about this, I don't think they're actively working on their well-being. They're kind of just chuffing along in life and when something big comes, then it hits the road and they've got to think, oh, now I've got to do something about it, but they're not probably not as working on it as actively as they should be, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, that's really my my whole message <laughs> is around being that proactive 
And it doesn't have to be a huge, you know, it doesn't have to take up huge amounts of your time, but it is that awareness and that that proactiveness. And, you know, what you said too about just knowing that there are some actions that you could take. So even if, you know, those links and things that the counsellor sent through weren't resonating with you at the moment, they didn't work for you at the moment, or you just didn't feel like you kind of were at that stage that you needed that yet, just knowing that there were some resources and some options there for you that you could take a bit of agency with, it goes a long way to, you know, our sense of self-efficacy really um, and our sense of almost countering that feeling that you sometimes get when you are in a, in a bit of a wellbeing crisis of feeling stuck and unable to see your way out. So just knowing that there are some actions that you could take and being aware of and understanding what was happening to you makes a difference too, doesn't it? And then, as you say, knowing what works for you. Okay, maybe those things don't work for me, but the exercise is really the thing that seems to make the difference for me. So I'm going to prioritize that over these other things that don't seem to be as effective for me, which is, again, like it's the the basis of differentiation. There's not a one-size-fits-all approach and even a one-size-fits-all approach for like what works for you now might not be what works for you in two years' time and that's okay. Yeah, yeah. And I think sharing that story, like when I've spoken to other staff at work about something and someone says, oh, you know, things aren't going great, you know, I'll often say, oh, how much sleep are you getting and, and how are you eating and just little like to trigger the the thought of, oh, actually, yes, I'm not looking after those things and maybe that's why everything is sliding down at this particular time of the year or whenever it is. Absolutely, absolutely. So tell us a little bit more about what you've been learning and I know we're going to do some upcoming episodes a little bit more specifically, but share a little bit about what you've got from your master's. Mm. It's been super exciting, actually. I've loved it. I guess being an adult learner, and it's all online, so it's it's fantastic. Like you can just go at, at your own pace. But I think for me, when we started doing the teacher wellbeing subject, was that that really big cycle between you know how the kids are affects you and how you are affects affects the kids. I mean, people people kind of know it intuitively, but really looking at the research behind that has been amazing in terms of. The academic outcomes, not only that, but just kids feeling good at school. And I guess that's always the bottom line. But layered on top of that is that if your teachers aren't in a good place, you know, if they're waking up every day going, I've got to go to work again, like that already is, is just such a bad place to start. And having to deal emotionally with other beings, particularly needy teenagers, I think how can you ever be the best version of yourself? So I guess the study for me, like a lot of it obviously is focused around student well-being because that's, you know, quite high priority at the moment. But the the teacher well-being side of it, I guess they probably focused on more like the professional well-being as opposed to what you kind of talk about in your podcast, which is really like the personal side of what you can do. So looking at, you know, your school's professional learning community and, and how well that's set up and what support networks you have at school and things like that. Yeah, and I guess the space where they're talking at a lot at the moment is that nobody can really define what wellbeing is, you know, therefore it's really hard to deal with. So that's an interesting space that even researchers can't really can't really agree on. So it's all very new and exciting. There's research coming, but it's still very bits and pieces. And often in schools, it's often those high-performing high fee paying schools that have the funds and the resource to be able to 
implement something and then see if it's working. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you say that. I I can't remember if I've shared on the podcast before. It might have just been on Instagram. So Stuart, my husband, is an exercise physiologist. He's been on the show before. So and he has said to me before, like in the medical and allied health world, they just don't use the word well-being because it is just too vague. Like people in medical and allied health professions use super specific terminology for for every specific you know, different ailment or whatever it is, because the clarity is so important. And he he has said to me before, like, the word well-being is just so wishy-washy from my perspective. What does it mean? <laughs> yeah. And it's everywhere now. You look in magazines and at, yeah, everything's about well-being. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, this leads quite nicely. What does it mean to you? What does well-being mean for you, Ellie? Well, for me, and if I look back at last year and what I said before about waking up in the morning and that feeling you get when you wake up and how is your posture and body and thoughts and emotions around going to work? Because for me, it was about work. My personal life and everything else was okay. So for me, it was specifically about work. How do I feel and what's the headspace going into that? And I think if you can get yourself some support or tools or resources or whatever it is, some time to get yourself in a better headspace where you wake up and you think, even if I think it's going to be a bad day, I know I can get through it, or today's going to be a great day. Whatever it is to change that, I think is really important for teachers. I mean, you might have a one-off bad day, but if you're getting to the stage where it's a significantly long period of time where you're just not enjoying going to work, I think that's, well, hopefully before then, but that's pretty big indicator that something needs to be done. Yeah, absolutely. And because, you know, term time is most of our lives as teachers. You know, it's it's all very well to be looking forward to the holidays. And of course, we enjoy the holidays. It's one of the perks of the job. Even if we have to do a bit of work, you know, we can sleep in or we can maybe be doing that work from a different location. Yes, the holidays are great, but actually during the term is most of most of the, the year, which means it's most of our life. So if you're dreading most of the term, that's a real indicator that you need to sit up and take notice and um, something's got to change because that's no way to live long-term and it does have an impact on your physical and emotional health and, and as you say, on on the people around you, you know, the students in your classrooms and and colleagues and all of that too. Yeah, and I don't know if it, you've shared it. I think you have shared it on one of the podcasts, but also in the, the my master's, they often talk about how teachers are, we are primed to look for students who need support or students who are failing or looking out for not the negatives but the things that need to be fixed and so we're always focused on that and so one of the things that one of the little tiny things that they do is share with someone at the end of every day or whenever instead of talking about the day and what went wrong just share one thing that went well but you have to say why it went well so you know, were you prepared? Did you have a great conversation with a kid? Did someone support you? Like, why was it that it went well? And then reflect on how you can make that happen again. Yeah, absolutely. And because again, it's bringing that back into our our sense of agency, getting us out of that sense of being stuck and helpless, but actually, no, 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 I have some agency here. I have some, maybe not control, but influence. <laughs> we don't always control, but we, you know, we, we can have some influence or we can we can make some, you know, proactive choices for sure. I love that one. Well, while we're talking about suggestions, what would be your top tips for, I mean, all teachers? This question has always been about early career teachers, but more and more I'm starting to see that it's really just everybody. What are your top tips for teachers for, you know, looking after themselves and creating a thriving career and life? Mm. I've 
had some wellbeing conversations just for some of my assignments with some early career teachers and talking to them about what has actually been happening in the space of the undergraduate degree at the moment. A couple of them said like, you know, wellbeing is talked about for about five minutes and then that's it. So in that space, they felt very underprepared. But the conversations that I've been having with them are, you know, they felt like in their graduate year, everyone knew they were a graduate, everyone was giving them quite a lot of support. But as soon as they stepped into that second year, and, you know, you know the statistics, it's the first five years that really are still quite significant. They step into second year and everyone just assumes they can do everything and they're, oh, you've been here now, you know everything. And, you know, I said having the guts to step up and say, actually, I'm still learning, I'm only second year. And you're still a graduate realistically. Yeah. So for them, I've really tried to encourage them to say, this is my only my second year this is something I'm trying to work on. Can you give me some help with this? Just to remind people because, you know, people forget, you know, you're part of the furniture after a year. So everyone just thinks, oh, well, you can do everything. But I guess then for the long-term teachers, I think it's that it's that awareness and not getting to the stage of burnout and just thinking, oh, well, that's what happens to teachers. That's the end of term and I'm absolutely stuffed and exhausted. I think, yes, there will be an element of, you know, the marking reporting craziness and it's certainly a bigger time. But I think that feeling of this is just how teachers are, is really wrong and people need to kind of call it out. Yeah. And I think it is part of the culture that we it then becomes a, a self-fulfilling prophecy because we're reinforcing it every time we go to work and have those have those conversations. But I mean that's one of one of my hopes from this podcast is to share stories of of not that <laughs> so that we can start to have some examples of of people breaking those patterns, whether they're the personal patterns that might have been undermining well-being, like perfectionism, or you know, being a bit of a bit helpless and sort of stuck in that victim mode, or you know, even the idea, the other one that very very common for teachers is everything for the students. I don't matter. It's a kind of a lower self worth kind of issue where it's like I'll, I'll just go over and above for other people, but my needs don't matter. So we can work through some of those patterns or whether they're kind of professional patterns going on in the workplace, like that culture of just, this is just what happens. This is just the way it is. And it's the way it will always be. If we can see examples of alternatives, then that can actually help us work towards that. Hey. Mm, And just knowing that everybody has a journey, like there are certainly some teachers that I look at and they, they just seem to have everything under control. They're always happy, always bubbly. They're never stressed. You know, they're busy, but they're and I don't know whether they're just highly extroverted and they thrive on that kind of thing because I'm not, but I think not looking at them as the standard teacher and thinking that that's what it should be. You know, your, I mean, my journey has certainly not been that at all, but also for people who think, you know, I get home and I'm literally emotionally exhausted and I think that's probably, if you're a highly introverted person, it takes a lot more energy to get through the day, but just knowing that, you know, what you need for well-being as your person is, is totally different than what somebody else needs. And you might need more support and that's okay. It's not, it's not something that, oh, great. Now we've got to deal with her. Yeah. It's just about finding, and we do it for all the kids all the time. So I don't understand why we don't do it for the teachers. Well, I think just because we haven't, right. Because it's just been the way it is that, you know, the students come first, which I've, you know, like, of course I've heard it. I've, there was a parent I was following online once who said, of course, if we were in an emergency situation and somebody had to go without shoes, it would be me, not my child. But that's not where we live most of the time. Like, actually, 
most days it's not that extreme of a situation and, you know, it's about just challenging those messages that many of us have just kind of accepted and we're not even necessarily aware that that's what's going on below the surface for us. So, yeah, just just about challenging those messages. It doesn't have to be that way. No, not at all. Mm. Was there anything else you wanted to share with us today, Ellie? I know we're going to do some guest hosting when I'm off on maternity leave. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> Which I will be by the time this episode airs, actually, I just realised. <laughs> I guess I just wanted to encourage people. I mean, what you always say about, you know, you don't, we want teachers to stay in the profession because I'm sure all of them have chosen this job because of the connections and the impact that it has. You know, people think they choose it for the holidays, but they're just joking. They actually choose it because of the difference they can make. And I think that if that's going to be a long-term sustainable career, you know, whether that's 10 years as an adult professional or, you know, you're doing it from as soon as you leave uni, I think that you've got to, you've got to look at the whole big picture and not just go, right, I've got to do these 10 weeks and then I can collapse in a heap and I've got to do these 10 weeks because it's it's never going to work and you've got to you've got to see if if you want it to be a long-term career and I would certainly love to be back in that space when I feel like that's the right time yeah because I think schools are amazing places and you can just I think no other person gets that kind of opportunity to chat with kids and to and to be in their lives apart from being a parent so I think it's pretty amazing and if you can if you want to be a career long teacher I think you've got to look at your well-being significantly if it's, you know, coming under duress or even before that. Yeah, with that long-term view, not just thinking about the next 10 weeks. Yeah, really, really true. Well, thank you, Ellie. Thank you so much for your time and I look forward to you sharing a little bit more of your wisdom in upcoming episodes with our listeners and have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you very much. It's been lovely chatting. It has. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self-Care for Teachers. If you've enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify, hit the three dots, share it to your Facebook or Instagram stories and let your friends know that you're listening. And if something in this episode made you think about a teacher that you care about and you think they need to hear it, send it to them now. Let's spread the message of teacher well-being and together we can create thriving school communities. Show notes for the podcast can be found at www.selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram using the handle at selfcareforteachers. As always, remember you're a person first and a teacher second and you are worthy of your own care.